left off last week. Um, as Pastor Matt probably told you, I'm going to teach two lessons next week. So we should get through Genesis 3 today and into 4. Next week we'll finish up Genesis 4 and hopefully get into um, most of Genesis 5, hopefully. We'll see how it goes, but I'd like to get done with Genesis 5 by the end of next week. So that'll be my eighth lesson, I guess, total. So, And then I'll be off, and then Pastor and Pastor Matt will teach. And hopefully we'll all be caught up with each other in a couple, three weeks here. So, Okay, um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Let's start out there. It says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all beasts of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we see here that God does not ask the devil why, like he did, um, why, why they did this, like he did with Adam and Eve. Um, you know, and obviously God's had dealings with the devil before, and that's probably the reason why. Um, we see that it says, and the Lord God said unto the serpent. Um, so this verse is not talking about a literal snake. The devil is referred to in scripture as a roaring lion, as an angel of light, transforming himself into all kinds of things. So the serpent would have been something that would have been attractive to Eve, and as we'll see later, um, the devil's seed was uh, Cain's father. So anyway, we see that this is probably not a snake, obviously, um, from scriptures. And then also, um, these verses are the first messianic promise in the Bible. Um, the messianic promises obviously talk about the coming of the Messiah. And um, this verse shows that the woman and the serpent will not get along. Um, and we see that this woman will have a seed um, designated it. Um, first of all, women do not have seed. Men have seed. Um, Mary's birth was a virgin birth, and Christ was born of the woman's seed, according to this verse. So um, so a very peculiar use of the word, the woman's seed, and referring to Christ as it. And... Um, you know, sometimes in Scripture, that Holy One, um, Christ is referred to in the neuter, or the Holy Ghost is referred to in the neuter. Um, and then it talks about the serpent also having a seed, and the serpent's seed will have enmity or be against the woman's seed. Um, and so, just like the woman had a seed, the devil has a seed. Um, Judas was referred to as a devil or a seed of the devil. Um, Cain was of that wicked one, and so we see that the devil had seed in Cain. And the devil will have a divine conception of the Antichrist, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit tonight too. So the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman's seed, and that would be referring to Calvary um, when Christ was crucified on the cross. And then sometimes people will misconstrue the woman's seed bruising the serpent's head as, you know, Christ rising from the dead. That's not true. It's referring to the second coming, not, you know, overcoming Calvary and rising again. Um, and so at the second coming of Christ, um, 
Christ will finally put an end to the devil um, and bruise his head. Um, Genesis 3.16, it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Um, And so this verse establishes a pattern in the Scriptures of the woman always being rebuked first or, or, you know, being addressed first anytime there's a situation where God's dealing with men and women. Um, and so an example of that would be Ephesians chapter 2, or Ephesians 5, 22 and 25. So it always addresses the wives first. First Peter 3, 1 to 5, it addresses the women first there. And then in First Timothy 2, 14, it also addresses um, the women first. And so that's consistent with the way almost all Oriental books are written. The woman is always addressed first before the man. Um, and it says, he said unto the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. So the woman is going to have multiplied sorrow in conception. Um, there is sorrow and pain in childbirth, just ask any woman. Um, and sometimes drugs can't even take it away. Um, there's been many a woman while having a baby threatening their husbands, calling them all kinds of nasty names or doing all kinds of things and threatening them. If you ever, if this ever happens again, you're going to kill you. So, amen. So there's multiplied sorrow in conception. And then it says, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth thy children. And it says, in thy desire shall be to thy husband. So, the average woman, in, in all reality, desires to be ruled by a man. Amen? Um, it's unnatural for a woman not to want to have a man over. And the only way that that gets in them is, you know, they get, either get brainwashed or they're stupid or all the above. And so insisting on equal rights or having your own way will lead to the dissatisfaction of a woman. I mean, she might get what she thinks she wants, but... In the end, she's going to not be happy. And the second part of that is, you know, you'll end up with a weak husband who will not be able to make a decision. So if any times there's that domineering wife ruling over that weak man, you got a mess, amen? And it's, it's not God's intention. So both the woman and the man are going to suffer when the woman refuses to obey. Um, so... A woman's desire is going to be to her husband, amen? At least a normal woman. Um, like I said, you go against nature, you're in trouble, amen? Genesis three seventeen to 19. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so we see um, a connection here between Adam and the ground. Um, And uh, that ground is supposed to bring forth you know, fruit. And, um, but this ground is now cursed. Um, it says, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. 
And so this ground cursing is for, for Adam's sake um, and as we go on there. So there's something wrong with the ground that fertilizer will never fix. Amen? Um, everything you eat comes from the ground one way or the other, either directly through vegetables or indirectly through animals. Um, most animals don't eat meat, amen, that we eat. Um, cows eat what? Grain, grass, all that stuff. So cow is a best conversion of vegetables into meat that I know of. That's, 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 that's true. Uh, <laughs> vegan food, if you want to call it that, amen. <laughs> It's the most efficient process to get the tastiest meat that I know of. <laughs> so. <laughs> Works better than soy burgers. That's all I got to say. <laughs> um, so everything does come from the ground in the end, though, is what I, I'm getting at. And now man eats vegetables and grains instead of just fruit as before the fall. And man will sweat for a living or disobey and die of poisoning. Amen? I mean, you know... We got to work our way around it. We got gyms. We got, you know, people got to go out and exercise when they used to just get enough exercise working a hard day. But now we got desk jobs. And what are we doing? We're dying of all kinds of diseases and everything. Amen. But in the end, you're going to be buried in that ground that you work. Amen. Um, From dust thou art, and to the dust thou shalt return. Amen. And so God cursed the ground. Amen. so the ground is cursed for Adam's sake, um, and it is cursed because of Adam's disobedience to God. Um, you know, God actually cursed the ground for a purpose, amen? He wanted, he didn't want Adam to live forever physically anymore, and so he had to slow down, like a better word, the process, and have a way for him to die, amen? And if he didn't curse the ground, he would have what? Lived forever like he would have in the garden. But God in his mercy let Adam eventually die. Um, You know, and as a Christian, what do you do? You look forward to dying someday, amen? You don't want to be in this world forever, you know. I'm not saying you should have suicidal thoughts, but I'm just saying (laughs) you should what? You know, you don't value life on this earth. You value the things of God and the things of heaven, amen? And death is a passage to get over there, amen? Amen. and so the ground's cursed because of Adam's disobedience to God, and curses throughout the Bible are the result of disobedience. Um, and then it talks about thorns also and thistles shall bring forth unto thee. And, um, you know, there's this curse of the weeds and the thorns, amen? And so, you know, that's not just the ground, that's everything we do in this life, amen? I mean, anybody that works a job, does anything tries to construct something, it's a whole lot easier to tear something down than it is to build it. Amen? And if you're going to build something, it's going to be with labor, but it's also going to, you know, things are going to break, things are going to fall apart, you know, things just aren't going to work out in general. And what's that a result of? That's the result of the curse. Amen? And it's not just the ground, it's everything we do in this life. Um, And then he talks about it being all the days of his life. Amen? All the days of his life. You know, this is not a short duration thing. This affects, this goes into effect and will stay in effect until the millennium. The curse is not going to be lifted until the millennium. And man needs to work his whole life, if possible, or you'll pay for it with an early death. You know, you, you see people that retire and they do absolutely nothing and they die six months later. Amen. 
That's because man, God made man to work. Amen. Amen. Um, man isn't made to just sit around. Second um, Thessalonians three tens. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, and that's the curse of the modern day welfare system. Amen. You know, if people don't work, they shouldn't eat. You know, and you know the liberal wants to make it bad that you put stipulations on welfare that you got to do something and. That's what? Contrary to the Word of God. And almost everything the liberals for is contrary to some Bible principle. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes has the word labor in it 21 times as Solomon talks through things. And so the bottom line is God intends for man to work his whole life. Um, going to Genesis 3, 20, 21, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of living, all living, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So Eve means the mother of all living or life or life-giving. And Adam gives this name unto Eve, not God. And, um, but in reality, Eve was the cause of Adam's death. Her children are born dead in trespasses and sin. Her first son is a murderer. And Eve is the mother of physical life, not spiritual life. Amen? And so Adam, as usual, gets some things not quite right. Amen? And we'll see later in Genesis 5 that God called what? Their name Adam. So God didn't name Eve Eve. Adam named Eve Eve. Okay? Just be clear. And then it talks about coats of skins here in these verses. And so this shows God's provision for their physical life and covering their naked, nakedness. It also shows a type of Christ, the Lamb of God, dying for mankind and giving himself as a covering of skin, a, a covering for sin, I'm sorry. And so these skins were lamb skins. If you look at Genesis 4-4, just over a page, it refers to Abel. It says, in Abel, he also bought of the firstling of his flock, brought of his firstling of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel's offerings. And so this firstling of the flock is referred to as a lamb. Amen. The lamb is the type of Christ in the Bible and the offering he made as a lamb. And um, the lamb was in Exodus 12 and also in Genesis 22, 8. Um, and the Lord God made these for Adam and Eve. So they didn't, God just didn't kill the lamb. He also made the, took the skin off of the lamb. He made it into a what? A coat. So he made the whole entire covering for Adam. There wasn't a part that Adam did. God did the whole thing for him. And so that's a type of salvation. Amen. You know, we don't work our way to heaven. God does it all for us. Amen. Just like he made the whole entire coat. Adam and Eve. And, um, and then Genesis 3, 22 to 23, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now let us, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And so, um, it says the man has become as one of us. So this us here is reference to the Trinity again, um, similar to what it was in uh, Genesis 1. Now man is cursed 
with a knowledge not of only of good, but of also of evil. So before the fall, man only knew of good. Now he also knows of evil. And so man is forever cursed and destroyed because he knows of evil. Um, and then part of that cursing, um, and it says, And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Um, and so God takes this tree of life away from man so that he can no longer live forever. The tree of life was a supernatural tree that provided supernatural life um, to Adam when he was in an innocent state in the garden, knowing only of good. And so God in his mercy ensures that man cannot live forever in the state of knowing both good and evil. God does not, you know, realize that, you know, if I let man live forever, man will just become totally wicked. And, you know, an example of that in the Bible we'll see is um, right before the flood, basically man becomes so corrupt that God has to judge the world in the flood. And, um, you know, and that's man living, you know, hundreds of years longer than he does now. Um, and I would argue that man's life getting shortened as things get wickeder and wickeder is a good thing. Because if they lived longer, things would just get worse. Amen? Um, and so God takes away this access to this tree of life. Um, if a man would have been allowed to go on forever, he would have become like the devils and the demons. And so God must now have another way to see that man has eternal life, but not in his earthly body. So the tree of life will return again in the millennium. Um, Revelation twenty two fourteen says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they, might have, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. So that's referring to the heavenly city, Jerusalem. And that tree of life will be again in the millennium. And that's how... Um, human people on this earth are going to live forever. They'll, they'll partake, partake of that tree of life. And so they'll live a thousand years in that millennium. You and I will have, you know, eternal life because we have eternal life. We'll have glorified bodies like Jesus Christ. So we don't necessarily need to partake of that tree of life. But anybody that lived, lives on the earth during the millennium will need to eat of that tree of life. Um, and then it says, God sent, sent him forth from the garden. Um, so man is sent out of the garden. He now has to till the ground. And when he does that, he is constantly reminded of the fact that he is just dust. Amen? Um, and then Genesis 3.24, so he drove, man out, drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And so man is on the east side of the Garden of Eden, and he has to travel east from west to east. And so throughout Scripture, traveling west to east is the direction of tragedy. Um, And so Hitler and Napoleon didn't figure this out when they tried to conquer, you know, Russia and all that kind of stuff. They basically went from east to west. Didn't work. Um, and then Cain, when he is driven out of the garden, is driven out the same direction as Adam and Eve from west to east, and that didn't go well. Jacob, when he's backslid and serving Laban, travels from west to east. And the, when the Jews go into captivity, they go from west to east. 
But when Christ returns through the eastern gate, he's going from east to west. And when the gospel went forth throughout the world, it basically went from east to west. And now it's coming back around the other direction. Um, so in this verse is the first mention of what is called a cherubim. Um, and so this cherubim is also extensively discussed in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. And it talks about basically a four-faced beast with wings. Each, each of these, I guess, um, parts of the body had two sets of wings. With one they covered themselves and one they flew, basically. And so multiple sets of wings. It also talked about this beast having legs with split hooves like a, um, a cow, I guess I would say, a calf. And so, you know, if you see any um, depictions of Satan, a lot of those features are in Satan because Satan was one of the original. He was the anointed cherub that sat over the throne of God. And so that doesn't mean every cherubim is a bad thing. That means Satan was a bad cherubim. So, but, um, and so angels do not have wings, despite what you were taught in Sunday school or wherever you were taught it. Amen. Um, you know, there's no way they could be around people unawares, as the New Testament refers to them, if they had wings stuffed in their suit coat. So, at least I don't think so. Um, and also these cherubims change appearance as they move. So there's some, if you read through Ezekiel chapter 1, there's some very bizarre things going on there. It talks about them having wheels and changing direction rapidly and things like that. So these cherubims can obviously fly, but um, they also have some very peculiar transportation <laughs> movements. And I won't get into UFOs, okay? We'll just leave it there for now. So. But if you do look up in the UFO, it's... <laughs> just check out and see if it's got four faces on it. <laughs> anyway, so, cherubims. And then we also had the flaming sword, okay? Um, this flaming sword was a whirling flame that went around the garden that kept Adam or his descendants from going back and getting into that garden. So obviously that garden would have been destroyed in the flood, but prior to the flood, the garden was still there. It didn't get wiped out. And so they can approach to the gate, but they can't go in according to Genesis 4.3 and Genesis 4.16. So this, this flame was there for whatever, 1,600 years before the flood um, and stayed there that whole time. Okay, Genesis chapter 4 now. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so this chapter 4 talks about the generations of Cain, um, but also about the death of Abel. And it kind of goes through the whole generation of the ungodly line of Cain that was destroyed um, during the flood. And so an outline of chapter 4, Genesis 4, 1 and 2 talks about the birth of Cain. Um, verses 3 to 7 talk about the brutality of Cain. Verses 8 to 10 talk about the burden of Cain. Um, 
verses 17 to 24 talk about the begotten of Cain or his descendants, and verses 25 and 26 talk about the brothers of Cain. Um, so Cain and Abel. So this, this chapter starts out with Cain um, and Abel. And it says in um, the first part of the verse, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Um, and so we see a conjugal relationship between Adam and Eve, and this relationship produces a conception, and she conceived. Um, and what this con- conception produced is not stated. It just kind of jumps right into the next part of the verse there and says, and bear Cain. Um, and so we'll kind of get into what probably happened here. I'm not saying definitively, but it appears there was more than one conception potentially. Um, and it says in bear Cain. So we see that Cain is the first child born by natural birth on the earth. So up to this point, God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. He took Adam, put him to sleep, took a fifth rib out, made Eve. And so this is the first natural birth of a human or a child. Um, and then this particular Cain here mentioned in this chapter and there are other Cains in the Bible, is mentioned 17 times in this chapter and three other times in the New Testament in Hebrews 11.4, 1 John 3.12, and Jude 1.11. And in particular, I want to read 1 John 3.12. It says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So we see from 1 John 3.12 that Cain was of that wicked one. And wicked or wicked one refers to the devil. If you kind of go through the New Testament, that phrase is um, used throughout the New Testament, talking about the devil being the wicked one or wicked in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. And so it seems feasible that Satan could be the father of Cain, according to this verse. Um, You know, it, it refers to what happened between Eve and the serpent is similar to a seduction, amen? So it might have been well more than just eating fruit. So if we look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, let's flip over there real quick. Um, We'll start in verse 1 just to kind of show what happened here. Um, Genesis 6, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. So we have, you know, physical humans, men, having daughters, and then it says and unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all, they, of all which they chose. Um, and it goes on, it says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not only strive with man for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And then it talks about there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And so we see that there's relationships between these sons of God and physical human women, and they produce these super giants or supernatural um, creatures, and that's, I think that's kind of where a lot of the mythology comes from, 
You know, I think there's some truth to some of the mythology of these, you know, godlike creatures, if you want to call it like that. And that's what would be the giants that were in the earth in those days before the flood. And likely most, if not all of them, got wiped out. Um, Goliath might be an exception to the rule, I believe. Um, But all of them, you know, as far as I know, most of them got wiped out um, in the flood. And so, but the main point I'm trying to make here is that there were relationships between these sons of God and the daughters of men. It's not too far of a stretch to believe that Satan, who is an angel of light, had relationships with Eve and produced a child, Cain, who was of what? That wicked one. And so we see that, you know, and there's just weird, um, it's weird how it says, and, and bear Cain and said, I've gotten a man for the Lord. And then it says, and she again bear his brother Abel. And okay. So Eve thought this um, was a man child from the Lord, but she, in reality, she was deceived. It was actually of the devil. And so after that, she bare his brother. So we see a second birth after Cain is born. And so it's not clear that both of these children were born at the exact same time. And there's no mention of a second conception with this second child. So there's a term called heteropaternal suprafecundation. Um, so this is a fancy term for fraternal twins that are born of two different fathers. And it says, though it's rare... The National Institute of Health did a survey that showed that 2.4% of um, children that they identified in paternity studies were basically paternal twins that were born from two different fathers. So two eggs, two different fathers. And so it's conceivable that Cain and Abel were fraternal twins or born at different times, but of two different fathers. So we do know that they had different fathers, though at least one conception between Adam and Eve, according to this passage here. Um, but as stated in 1 John 3.12, Cain was of that wicked one, so his father would be the devil. And so we have the seed of Cain and the seed of the Antichrist um, and the typology between the two. So both Cain and the Antichrist are both seeds of the serpent, the son of perdition, Second to Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you read through there, that whole chapter, it talks about the son of perdition coming in, the Antichrist, and is um, rising up during the tribulation. Both Cain and the devil have marks. Um, they're both murderers and liars. Satan is referred to as a murderer and liar in John 8, 44. And they're both under a curse. So there's a lot of parallels between Cain and the Antichrist because they're both being of the seed of the devil. Um, And then we go on to the occupations of Cain and Abel. So Abel was a keeper of the sheep, um, and this occupation had been established after God killed the first sheep as a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. And so this was a valid profession and work that man needed to do. And then um, Cain was a tiller of the ground, amen? And... um, that was also a valid profession, amen? God commanded uh, Adam to be what? A dresser of the gr- ground or the garden, amen? And so it was, it was a good thing that Cain, there was nothing wrong with Cain um, working the land. 
Okay, Genesis 4.34, and it says, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And then I cut it off. Go to verse 5. It says, But unto Cain and his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And so we see that, first of all, um, Cain's offering was not of faith compared to Abel's. Um, if we read, just keep your finger there, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, talking about Cain's offering, or I'm sorry, Abel's offering, not Cain's. Hebrews 11 and verse 4, it says, by faith Abel offered unto God, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. And so we see that Cain offered this by faith, amen, and a more excellent sacrifice. Um, and on the contrary, Cain did not offer his by faith. Um, Cain did not want to follow God's divine instructions. And so it would have been laid down how to offer an offering because Adam and Eve saw God, what, sacrifice the lamb in Genesis 3.21 and made coats of skins. So Adam and Eve would have passed that on to Abel and Cain, the proper way to offer an offering. And so God, Cain didn't want to follow God's way of doing things. He wanted to do his own way. The Bible talks about going about to establish your own righteousness, and that's what Cain did. He went about to establish his own righteousness. And then we see that Abel, he also brought of what? The firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. So Cain offered what was the best. It was the firstling, the first choice, and, and the fattest of the flock. Um, Cain brought whatever he pulled out of the ground. He didn't care because he had no intention of doing what God wanted him to do, to try to please God. And then Cain's other problem was it wasn't of the flock. Um, you know, Cain realized that a blood offering was required by seeing the example of God offering the blood offering, but yet he still brought what he wanted to bring in disobedience to God. Though he was a vegetable far farmer, he was too proud to ask his brother for one of his sheep or even buy one from him because of what? He had hatred toward him. So this hatred between Cain and Abel went on long before this. You know, usually hatred just doesn't crop up between two people in an instant. It's usually going on for quite a while. And so Cain is a type of the religious Christian that wants to get to heaven their own way in contradiction to the clear plan of salvation. Amen? Okay. And then finishing up here, Genesis 4, 5 to 7, it says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his, talking about um, Abel, his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So normally, what? The oldest brother should be over the younger brother in the family. But that's not what Cain wanted. So 
God was trying to have mercy on Cain here and what? Give him one last chance before he saw something bad happen. Amen? And so he's intervening, and that's what God does with us often. He deals with us through preaching, through the Word of God, and tries to get us right before we do something real stupid like Cain did. Um, And so we see here the conspicuousness of the condemnation. Um, The respect in the Old Testament was an answer by fire. Abel's offering was consumed, but Cain was not. And so we see that God had respect on the Cain's or uh, Abel's because it was probably answered by fire, whereas Cain's was not. And then we see the collectiveness of the condemnation. Amen? There was no respect for God, from God, for Cain's offering. Both Cain and his offering were rejected. Um, you know, often we are identified with our offering. You know, if, if you give a pedalance of an offering at church or whatever, or you don't want to sacrifice your time, that identifies you as a Christian and what kind of Christian you are. And that's what is here. And so when we receive Christ, we are accepted in him. And so it's the gift of salvation. We're identified with Christ because we're identified with what? The gift, the offering of Christ. And so the giver is always identified with the gift. And Cain was not there. And then we have the collar over the condemnation. So Cain was mad and his countenance showed it. Amen? You know, you can tell when somebody walks in church with a bad attitude, something is not right between them and God. Amen? And when we have a bad attitude toward God and the things of God, it is hard to hide it. And Cain could not hide that countenance. Amen? It was all over his face. Um, Your countenance often shows what's happening on the inside, you know? And many get mad when the preacher preaches against their sin. Instead of repenting, they go out of the church in rage. And sometimes they never come back. And it destroys them. And then we have the counsel of the condemnation. And in verse 7 it says, If thou doest well, shalt shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Um, And so God's trying to counsel Cain to correct his action. And if we do well and accept Christ, we will be accepted with God. If we repent of our sin and turn to God and get it right, we'll be accepted with God. Cain did not want to be accepted with God. Um, you got to do things God's way to be accepted with God. You can't just fix it the way you think it needs to be fixed. You got to fix it the way God wants you to fix it. And then it says, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so we have Cain, the older brother. So sin lies at the door when we don't do things God's way. God is telling Cain if he would live right, his younger brother would look up to him and serve him. And we'll see later that Cain has what? Absolutely zero responsibility for his brother. He doesn't care one lick about his brother. And God asks him where he's at, he blows it off. You know, he says, am I my brother's what? Keeper. You know, as an older brother, what should you be first and foremost? You should be looking out for your younger brothers. Amen? And you should care about them, and you should want to lead them properly and help them to do right and live for God. Amen? And Cain did not want to do it. Amen? Um, 
And so Cain was a terrible example to his younger brother. He did not look out for his well-being, and in the end, he ended up killing him because of his hatred toward him. Amen? And then we'll uh, pick up from there, verse 8, next week, and hopefully get through the rest of chapter 4, and then do one lesson on chapter 5. Amen. Um, Brother Derek, you want to pray for us? Amen. Thank you all for coming out.